No one forgets their first trip to Malifaux. This startling world catches everyone by surprise, beginning with the macabre sight greeting them when they step off the train at Malifaux Station. High in the wasted limbs of the hanging tree dangles Jack Daw, unofficially adopted by many in the guild as the city's mascot. Almost nothing is known about the individual whose body hangs in the tree's limbs, bound hands, and sack-covered head suggesting some sort of execution. No records have been found explaining his presence. Jack is viewed as one of hundreds of oddities in Malifaux, cataloged and contained as best the guild can. What no human understands is that the being trapped in Jack's body has watched the comings and goings of Earthsiders since the Great Breach reopened years ago. Watched and listened. Trapped in both body and mind, Jack could only absorb the events of the world passing by until the doorway to the Grave Spirit's realm was opened at Kythera. The power that flowed into Malifaux from the doorway had an unexpected effect, stirring a creature inside Jack, breaking through the insanity which gripped its mind. It remembered nothing of its former life, only a crushing sense of guilt and a burning desire for vengeance. The two emotions warred within Jack for a time, its desire for revenge on her finally winning over. Jack could not remember who she was, but all it wanted was to see the life fade in her eyes. Burning deep within, this need focused what energy Jack had absorbed until its spirit broke free from its corporeal prison, wandering the city seeking vengeance. The first sightings of the ghost of Jack Daw were dismissed as drunken ramblings until their frequency began to increase. The spirit could not communicate in more than the vaguest of methods, but instead seemed to be searching for something or someone, offering its services at random. Able to communicate with the hanged, Jack shares some spiritual connection to them. It shows particular interest in conflicts involving women, and a few of the stories tell how, in the middle of a fight, Jack lost control, switching sides when the fighting was at its thickest. Guild and Arcanist researchers have been dispatched to investigate Jack's sightings, but to date, no reliable information regarding its plan has been gathered. A visit from Jack Daw is met with a mixture of surprise, gratitude, and fear. Its motivations for appearing to aid or hamper a crew are a mystery. Despite the benefits of having the being fight on their side, Smart Masters realized the potential threat Jack Daw could pose if it decided to change sides at the wrong moment. Tenacious, arrogant, effective. These three words sum up the originator and leader of the mercenary band known as Von Schill's Freikorps. After a successful military career Earthside, Von Schill turned his attentions to the abundant opportunities Malifaux presented, eschewing his commissions and offering his services as a mercenary to the guild. The guild needed hard men to weather the early days of the second settling, and Von Schill's no-nonsense approach to just about everything integrated him with the men and women serving on the front lines, if not with the guild leadership. 
What should have been the crowning assignment in a distinguished career ended in disaster. When von Schill was finally introduced to the governor general, the two men silently decided their hatred for one another would be the last thing they'd ever agree on. Von Schill wrinkled the governor general with his blunt suggestions on how security could be improved, and the governor general made it clear he valued the veteran's advice as much as he valued crow soil on his favorite hat. Von Schell then informed the governor general where he could put that crow soil and had his contract with the guild promptly terminated. Rather than return Earthside, Von Schell decided to remain a Malifaux and offer his considerable skills to the highest bidders. His time working with the guild had garnered him a loyal following of guardsmen and specialists who were more than happy to turn their backs on the governor general and follow a man they respected. With his corps of loyal, skilled soldiers at his command, Von Schill officially formed the Freikorps, an elite mercenary crew offering its services to those that would pay. Von Schill's Freikorps plies its trade throughout Malifaux, owing their allegiance to their leader first, then to the employer with the deepest pockets. Von Schill's commitment to the Freikorps ensures his men are well paid for the specialties and benefit from the best equipment to be had. Through clandestine arrangements with the Miners and Steamfitters Union, as well as other resources whose identities he chooses not to divulge, he has commissioned the development and construction of the Freikorps signature armor, designing it to withstand the numerous threats Malifaux has to offer. When he leads his men into battle, his considerable military experience is put to use tearing down the enemy's defenses as he bellows orders from a rounded, well-chewed cigar. His men love him, his enemies fear him. A product of the axiom, a warrior's sharpest weapon is his mind. Freikorps librarians provide clients with much-needed magical support. Their abilities may not be as flashy as other spellcasters in Malifaux, but what they lack in raw, unchained power, they make up for independability. Most Freikorps contract teams include one librarian. Intelligence evaluation is the librarian's responsibility, confirming the details of the operation as explained by the employer. When that intelligence changes, the librarian evaluates it and makes appropriate recommendations. Trained strategists, the advice librarians provide has made the difference between victory and defeat for a number of the Fry Corps clients. The Fry Corps mandatory training regimen keeps the librarian's skill with the blade fresh, but most leave their knives sheathed in favor of the destructive litanies they are taught. Any Fry Corps member demonstrating a knack for spellcasting is assigned to the library for evaluation and training. This well-hidden repository of lore has provided the Freikorps with some of its most potent spells. Librarians can kill with a word, heal with a gentle touch, or shatter stone with a shout. Their knowledge of the arcane even allows them to interrupt the aether flowing into an opponent as she attempts a spell of her own, leaving her defenseless. With a librarian at their side, Freikorps men fear little, knowing if things get too hot, they have a magical firepower standing by, ready to come to the comrades' aids at a moment's notice. The responsibility of clearing a path through dangerous quarters falls squarely on the Freikorps specialists' shoulders. Their willingness to face threats head-on, blazing a trail quite literally through an enemy to an objective, is what they are trained to do. Skillful handling of the specialist's signature weapon takes months to learn, training encompassing everything from basic safety to advanced tactics. Many candidates wash out of the training, unable to complete the rigorous regimen. Accidental deaths during training run high for specialists in comparison with other Freikorps assignments. Nevertheless, the Fry Corps never runs short of volunteers to wield the weapon corpsmen have dubbed Worm's Breath. Encased in the Fry Corps armor with canisters of flammable chemicals strapped to the armor's back, a specialist putting the weapon to work is a terrifying sight to behold. The stream of chemicals can be adjusted through the use of a nozzle, allowing the flames to be focused or spread across an area. Gouts of flame are capable of igniting whatever they touch, mercilessly burning through wood and flesh alike. 
Few can withstand the horrible damage wrought by a fry corpse flamethrower, and most are willing to flee from one rather than face an agonizing death at the specialist's hands. One of the fry corpse advantages is its ability to provide the right mix of skills to complete an objective. Depending on the mission or contract, Von Schill himself will select the manpower necessary, flawlessly reading the tactical needs of the client. Because a contract can require a wide variety of skills, Frycorps trappers are on the payroll to provide scouting intelligence on a target. Their ability of using terrain to their advantage and their ability to blend into the surroundings despite wearing Frycorps armor gives them an otherworldly mystique with the other men. Trappers are also excellent hunters, bringing in extra revenue with pelts and furs. Some even go as far as to seek out local bounties on critters and hunt until the bounty is lifted. Many find the Badlands popular for bounty hunting, knowing someone, somewhere, is willing to pay to clear razor-spine rattlers from their livestock. They can track prey over rocky terrain and through streams, doggedly pursuing their quarry day and night until it collapses or is overtaken. Because they can be depended upon for additional income, the Frycorps gives trappers more latitude in being out of contact than they do other Frycorps members. Trappers have been known to go a trappin' for months without so much as a word only to return saddlebags filled with scrip and soulstone shards for their services. There are several tyrant entities, now nothing more than specters that inhabit the fringes of the world of Malifaux. As they slowly approach a true death, most retain only a vague awareness of the world they once tried to dominate and force into subservience. Yet they were each once fierce and impassioned in their plans. Each sought to escape the inevitability of death and defy fate's grand plan that destined them to fall, as all living things must, to give way to another generation. One sleeping tired entity lay awake, its mind once more stirring and plotting, still unwilling to accept death. He no longer had the means to move about in the world of men, though his disembodied mind grew stronger, longing for a chance to escape the great subterranean necropolis that confined him for years upon years. But he could hear the stirring of people in the new city built over the much more ancient and vast city of Malifaux that he knew. He heard them and had hope. He watched for signs and stretched out his will to manipulate and twist fate again, bending it so that he could know freedom once more. Hamlin was merely a man that inhabited the shadows and darkest corners of an alley when he lingered about the activities of men. He could not know that one night, in the dank darkness of the immense caverns of the ancient sewers below the city, once wide streets of an older forgotten city, would lead him to an opportunity most men would never experience. He was chosen by that tyrant specter as his vessel. Now, Hamlin the Plagued walks again. He was brought the blight of a dark and deadly pestilence to the world of Malifaux. And the consumption of the flesh, he draws forth the power released at the expiration of each cell in the body, feeding off death. The former Hamlin's power, too, is now his, amplified so that the song he plays on the pan flute or hums softly in the dusk calls forth the innocent to do his bidding. Their will becomes supplanted by the weight of a mind that has longed to return to the world of the living for hundreds of years. Though he has waited for so long, now that he walks again, he is impatient to fulfill the destiny he has planned for himself.
Even in its new body, the now corporeal Hamlin the Plagued requires servants to aid in his conquest of Malifaux. Tied to the flesh, he cannot be in several places at once, instead relying on the weak-willed to do his bidding. Hamlin's pan-flute summons many to serve, but a few come to his side of their own volition. These believers have witnessed the power he wields, and have surrendered themselves to him, offering their talents and skills for him alone. Hamlin imbues his most devoted followers with the modicum of his power and transforms the Richard mortal into something more befitting his needs. The resulting totem's creation burns the humanity that the wretch possessed in life, leaving only her commitment to Hamlin. The wretch serves Hamlin as a conduit for his malevolence, channeling magic and disease through her body. The wretch can only contain Hamlin's essence for so long, eventually succumbing to the plague festering within. Even in death, however, the wretch serves Hamlin's purpose, calling vermin forth to partake of its body and spreading more of the pestilence throughout Malifaux. The call of Hamlin the Plague's pan flute is difficult to resist. It pushes against the minds of all who hear it, pushing into their thoughts and filling them with dark purpose. Those who are unable to resist the sound are drawn to Hamlin, their free will decayed by what they have heard. They become his slaves, serving him until they succumb to the consuming sickness surrounding their new master. Hamlin uses these individuals as a queen bee would use her drones. They fulfill menial tasks, dragging after him with ever-lessening speed as their muscles and innards are slowly eaten by disease. His only gift to them is their ability to share his bounty with others, infecting all they come into contact with. And this way, the plague is spread faster than Hamlin could hope to achieve alone. As the stolen are devoured by Hamlin's corrupted influence, the symptoms of it begin to appear on their bodies. Weeping pustules, sores, and scabrous growths erupt on the skin, soon making them unrecognizable to even loved ones. Their suffering is short-lived, however, and they quickly succumb to their affliction. Those who have the courage to put them out of their misery are crippled with guilt and horror when they realize what they thought was a zombie or other creature was, in fact, human. Even gods sometimes get it wrong. When the tyrant plague reanimated and took Hamlin's form, the resulting wash of energy found one other creature, Hamlin's bull terrier, Nyx. The unfortunate creature had been the first to die upon Plague's awakening, and his flint's carcass lay near where Hamlin would be painfully transformed as well. The energy, which should have dissipated once Hamlin's corpse was restored and animated, flowed through Nyx's remains in an attempt to reanimate him as well. The remaining energy was not powerful enough to bring Nyx back completely. Instead, it freed the bull terrier's spirit from his body, preventing it from moving on. Intrigued by his own occurrence, Hamlin decided to leave the spirit to its own, knowing he would summon Nyx to his side when necessary. Nyx's transformation came with a terrible cost, however. As a creation of Plague's power, Nyx bears the mark of disease and pestilence and spreads them wherever he goes. He is an unwitting pawn in Plague's awful schemes. Nyx now wanders Malifaux in search of what he remembers of the real Hamlin. When called by the Plague, he is bound to come and serve, but when he is not needed, Nyx roams far and wide searching for Hamlin. His curiosity is insatiable, and he sometimes aids people in need during his travels.
Good afternoon, morning, and evening, folks. Thanks for giving us a listen today. If you like this episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review us. For updates and more, you can find us at soulstorypod.com. Do you want to stay in touch? We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at soulstorypod. You can find us on Twitter as well. This man has a stiff attitude to match his stiff corpse. It's Dr. Felix at Musifo. He ain't no simp. He'll give you a taste of his right hook before throwing you in the hooskow. It's Jared at Spare Bear the Meek. He's eager for that beaver and has the moxie of a large mouse. Meet Albert Long at Hot Bam with three M's. She has a gun and we swear she's had an accent all along. It's Rosa, played by Logan at KOTL of the Light. And she's a choice bit of calico and knows her onions. It's our fate master, Alex, at Roll for Alex. God bless America.